All right, church, it's that time to dig into the Word of God. You can get settled in your seats and grab your Bibles. We're headed back to the third missionary journey in southeastern Turkey. The gospel is being preached and lives are being radically transformed. Uh, We're going to dig in now and ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, we are in your presence. We know you're here. Holy Spirit, open up our eyes, touch our hearts with this living, breathing, active word that you have sent to transform us to give us wisdom, comfort, guidance, and healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, our guest speaker last Sunday, Pastor Tom, was talking a little bit about how spiritually dark the nation has become and how wonderful it would be uh, to see revival break out. It got me thinking about Christian revivals um, that have swept... uh, through different regions of the world at various times in history. I remember reading about the famous Welsh revival of 1904 uh, that lasted a couple years. It was said that in a very short period of time, over 250,000 people came to faith. And one thing that stuck out, the dramatic impact that transformed lives made to the culture, to society itself. The courtrooms were notably empty. Policemen were bored, (laughs) and they were doing more paperwork than anything else. And the pubs and saloons, you may recall, because they were less frequented, uh, some of them had to close. And, uh, you know, dark, smoky pubs, really not the place where new fired up uh, believers wanted to hang out. So the owners of these bars who had not been saved themselves were filled with resentment and anger. You know, they directed their hostility toward Christian leaders in the community who seemed to be fanning the flames of a movement that was quickly putting them out of business. And so that's exactly, exactly what's going on here in Acts chapter 19. 2,000 years before the Welsh revival, there was another revival in the city of Ephesus, a well-documented one we have been reading about here in chapter 19. It's led by a fired-up evangelist named the Apostle Paul. The gospel was being preached. The Holy Spirit was at work transforming people's lives. And as a result, the culture and the economy was impacted. And depending on who you were and what you did, the good news of Jesus might actually not be very good news for you and your business. Take Demetrius the silversmith, for example. Verse 23. About that time during the revival, there arose a great disturbance about the way. That's how evangelical Christianity was labeled. We are people that belong to the way, the truth, and the life, the way to heaven. So they called us the way. There arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of the goddess Artemis there in Ephesus, the god of the Ephesians, brought in no little business for the craftsmen 
he called them together along with the workmen in related trades and said, men, you know we receive a very good income from this business. And you see and you hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia because it's a revival. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. (laughs) Imagine that. Verse 27, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. All right, we'll pause there, right? There's a lot to talk about. Believe it or not, has much to say about today. Uh, And so, yeah, poor guy. He has to make a choice, doesn't he? You know, temporary pleasures or eternal life. Yeah, he chooses poorly. And I have written down big baby right there. So he's going to throw a temper tantrum. We're going to look into it here. There are three things that we will find. Number one, a troublemaker named Demetrius. He's got some financial woes, shall we say. Number two, note takers will be coming. An angry mob that's out for blood. And number three, we'll close out with a city official, a very diplomatic mayor of Ephesus will come on the scene and God will use him to save the day. Let's begin with the troublemaker. The one throwing the big temper tantrum. And note takers, note, there's always a troublemaker. Always. Wherever you have God doing his work, you have God's adversary, which in Hebrew is Satan. Satan means adversary. Uh, doing counter work. And you see, so God's work is to heal and set free and to save and to open blind eyes. And the enemy is never very far away. And his work is to uh, blind the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the, the glory of the gospel, the light of the gospel, and be saved. He takes men captive to do his will, says the Bible. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 there. And so God has his servants who he does his work through. Men like the apostle Paul, and we've been meeting them, right? Uh, Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos, and uh, we'll meet a couple other names here in the passage soon. And uh, the enemy has his tools, his servants, his people, uh, and they do his work like Demetrius, who the devil has blinded and taken captive to do his work, and he's going to be the spark to bring this great disturbance to the church at large there in Ephesus. So we'll start out with that great disturbance. The word means uh, commotion. It really has the feeling of a sudden passionate jolt, almost like turbulence. The idea if Christianity in first century um, Turkey uh, was a jetliner, 
uh, you would, you know, when you get that sudden whoa and the plane drops and then it goes sideways, it, that kind of thing. And it's very intimidating and unsettling. And, and I think that's the way the Christians of the way felt when this whole thing started. Uh, mind you, it's going to become much more intense than this paragraph, as you'll see, and as many of you already know. So uh, it, it opens up with verse 23 at that time. What time? The time of revival. You know, have you noticed that Ephesus was really a place where God did extraordinary miracles of all the New Testament churches? Ephesus was the longest stay, three years, and the most pervasive and dramatic and miraculous things God did. It was in Ephesus. That's amazing. So it says, at that time when God opened a door for Paul at the hall of Tyrannus. And every day, day and night, they were discipling uh, young men and sending them out to plant churches so that the entire province, two million people, and the Bible says, were thoroughly evangelized. The whole province, as Demetrius is going to state, everybody has heard this gospel and knows what Paul is preaching. Yeah, that opening verse, it was at this time when extraordinary miracles, that even Paul's work clothes were imbued with power that if anybody touched the apron that he used at work, evil spirits would be shrieking and coming out of people. The Bible called it extraordinary that God wasn't doing that in any other place or time. And so it was at that time the great disturbance came as a result of God's great work and then the great disturbance came and the devil using uh, Demetrius in that way. So yeah, it was a time where culture was radically impacted and the economy. Many came, verse 18 of the chapter, many came and openly confessed their evil deeds and sorcerers and people who were into the occult. They brought their scrolls and their magic books and they burned them together publicly in a bonfire even though they were worth millions. That's what the Bible says. So in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and affected the way people lived and then in turn affected the economy. Now it was a time of revival but it was a bad time to be in the idol making business for sure. And that's because when the gospel comes it's not a new philosophy, it's not a new religion of do's and don'ts. It's a supernatural encounter with the living God who comes in to those who trust in Christ by the Holy Spirit and raises us to new life. If anybody's in Christ, according to the Bible, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So with a new creation that he creates comes new desires. And part of the new desires in these Ephesians was to turn away from idols and turn and serve the living God instead. And that affected where they were spending their money, right? So much of the province is no longer interested in tarot cards or in crystals or in fortune tellers or calling 1-800-PSYCHIC, right? So the psychic lines were going out of business and the little occult shops were shutting down. People didn't care anymore about getting high. So all the little 
uh, outlets, buy your weed here. They were like put closing up shop. People didn't want to get <laughs> drunk anymore. <laughs> so, thank you. For <laughs> only one out of hundreds, but <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> People weren't um, thinking about being sexually immoral anymore. And also, when their eyes were open to the truth, that quote, man-made gods are no gods at all. They certainly weren't about to waste one more penny buying a silly statue of some make-believe goddess. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and that's what makes our friend Demetrius so furious, furious enough to have somebody killed. Now Artemis, let's talk about her and the worship thereof. That was his bread and butter, not to mention for thousands and thousands of people there. Uh, it was such a big deal. It was how he made his living, and the Bible says it's a good living. And uh, uh, the language used is he's wealthy. All right, so who is she? Well, believe it or not, I know this will surprise you, a fertility goddess there. And I have written down here somehow or another that all pagan forms of worship in the Old Testament and in contemporary situations all lead back to sexual immorality. Did you know Baal worship, what that was about? Same thing. The golden calves from Egypt, same idea. Ashtara, same thing. It usually comes back to Artemis. Proverbs says this of Artemis. Do not let your heart turn to her, gentlemen. Do not stray into her path, for she has brought many down to death. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house leads to hell and descends to the chamber of death. Proverbs 7 and verses 26 and 27. Yeah, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Her slain, a mighty throng. And her house... Her house, the steps lead to death. On the outside, it looks rather inviting. Let me show you an artist's rendering of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis of the Ephesians. And so, yeah, you have to go up the steps, and that's usually how it is. The allurement is, oh, this is going to be an up experience. And then you find out the elevator is going to the basement floor. <laughs> and yeah, so 127 columns, and they were 60 feet high. The ruins were discovered in 1869. And the main altar was unearthed in 1965. And so the temple was also used as a bank and a treasury for the ancient world. Their merchants and kings and even cities made their deposits there because where better to entrust your money or your valuables than to the, the goddess Artemis for safekeeping. And so the place was packed with vile priests and priestesses doing their uh, filthy um, protocols and all of that. And uh, they were made wealthy as well. Endless crowds came to find the blessing of Artemis 
before leaving, they were encouraged to purchase souvenirs. And more than that, they were amulets made of silver, um, blessed by Artemis herself to prosper you. You'd buy them these trinkets or these little statuettes for your gardens, or uh, you would put a trinket around your neck, and you'd have the beloved image of Artemis with you, blessing you. And nobody made those silver amulets better than Mr. D, Demetrius himself. And all who belonged to the local trade unions, they were good. Now, Demetrius is feeling the pinch. The accountant came in, said, bro, we're in trouble. They brought out a spreadsheet and you know those charts with the arrows going down, <laughs> down, down all the way. And then, you know, his financial advisor came in and said, bro, I don't know. We've got to stop this thing before it stops us, you know. And so Demetrius calls a meeting and all those buff workmen come in. This is how I picture it, you know, in their tank tops. You know? <laughs> What's up, Demetrius? You know, and so uh, he, he's kind of, they're all feeling the pinch too. Their businesses are dwindling. A, a collection of very angry men. Uh, so Demetrius lights the fuse. He gets straight to the point. He's quite effective because he needs to rile them up enough to kill Paul. That's the point. I want you to, guys to murder a human being. His name is Paul, and he's the cause of all our, of our troubles. Either Christianity is stopped or we go bankrupt. Our luxurious livelihoods are at stake, men. Anyone here like money? We're living like rich people, my brothers. And that's all about to come to an end. And I hope you don't mind trading in your villa by the Mediterranean for low-income housing. And I hope you guys don't mind seeing your wives waiting in long lines for food stamps. Because that's about to happen now. When he sees the smoke coming out of the nostrils, he knows, okay, I got them fired up. Now I got to point them in the right direction to this fellow named Paul. He's the problem in his message of hate. So you hear what he's saying there, verse 26, and, and he says this kind of idea, and it blows my mind, this whole thing, where he says, get ready for this. You're not going to believe what he's preaching. He's actually, believe, he's actually preaching that gods that we make with our hands are not really gods at all. Yeah, Demetrius, really? Could I bring in my five-year-old grandson? Uh, he could help you out. He could tell you, uh, Mr. D Demetrius, listen, um, I have some puedo, right? And if I, if I took my puedo and I made something and called it Gertrude, Gertrude couldn't hear me. Gertrude couldn't save me. Gertrude couldn't do anything because it's Play-Doh, right? So <laughs> I'm having a good time. <laughs> and that's what matters here. <laughs> because if you can't see how crazy that is, he actually is preaching that if we make the God with our hands, it's not really God. What? What kind of craziness is that? And that's exactly what's going on today. Have you not noticed that? <laughs> okay, here's what they're saying. Unbelieving world, here's what we're saying, Christians. And they repeat it as if it's the craziest, most bizarre thing ever, and the hugest insult to their intelligence and, to, and, and a threat to their way of life. 
And here, here are some of the statements that would, these bizarre statements worth, you know, killing people over or ostracizing or canceling them over. Here's what they say. They say, the earth and all life didn't get here by itself. There's a creator. What? <laughs> you guys are idiots. You're backwards. You're so archaic. Oh, wait, there's more. You know what else they're saying? They're saying, people should stop doing evil things and turn to God. Oh, <laughs> that is awful. Here's a, here's a real winner. They say this. Little babies in the womb should be protected and not killed. What? We're going to light that church on fire. Honestly, let's bomb their home. Let's bomb their home because, and, and here's what they believe. Please don't kill your baby. Give it, give it to us. We'll take care of it. So with the truth that human life matters in your womb, please protect it. We're going to kill you for saying that. Wow. It's just so simple. You know, next thing, you know, they'll be saying men should use the men's room and ladies should use the ladies' room. <laughs> what? You haters. Unbelievable. Okay. You're not with me today. Uh, that's okay. Whatever. You're just all thinking like, oh, can I laugh at that? It's okay to laugh at that because you know what? You're so afraid. You're so afraid like, oh no, that's great as Artemis of the Ephesians. They're not outside. <laughs> They're not outside. And you're like, keep talking like that and they will be. You know? <laughs> Whatever. Well, maybe you should fast forward and read the end of the story. Because guess what? They don't win. God wins. Anyway. There we go. There you go. All right. Reining it in. So they discredit the message and they malign his character. And get this, they're doing the same thing today. Same thing. Get a load of this. He's convincing everybody. And he's, quote, verse 26, leading people astray. Honestly? Honestly? Paul leading people astray? You're accusing him of the exact thing that you're doing. And he's... Yeah. <laughs> and he actually is doing quite the opposite. Demetrius, you're leading people to believe that Plato is alive and can help them. All right? That would be leading people astray. What Paul is doing is he's leading people to the true and living God. Right? So, yeah, Demetrius is the angry one. He's promoting hate. Paul is loving, promoting kindness. Demetrius is intolerant. He's intolerant of the Christians belonging to the way. Paul has no bone to pick with silversmiths. In fact, he loves them. He treats them kindly, and he teaches us to minister to them in kindness all throughout the New Testament. You will never see one angry mob of Christians holding picket signs in front of the temple of Artemis or any other shrine. You just won't do that. We love our enemies. Demetrius and those like him would have us killed. And so verse 27, he fuels the uh, fire by uh, talking about their egos. So he says, our reputation is at stake. Do you, uh, do you, I mean, we're one of the seven wonders of the world. What if, what if Paul 
convinces people that it's all nonsense will be one of the most foolish wonders of the world. Men, it will be like making little trinkets for Minnie Mouse. Guys, come on, we can't do that. And so, and then he says, P.S., don't forget the dignity of our goddess, right? <laughs> you know what? Give, and I have written down here, give me a break, D. I call him D, all right? <laughs> I said, listen, you don't care about Artemis. You don't even believe in her. Come on, man. You had two years. We know the gospel's been going around them for two years and no riots, not a peep out of you. Why? Because there was money in the bank. But it's now caught up with you, sir. And now that you feel the pinch in your wallet, oh, now suddenly you care about the dignity of Artemis, please. We're not buying it. Verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, by the way. That is a line from their creed, their religion. So our creed is Jesus is Lord. That's something we would shout. You know, this is what they're saying. Soon the whole city was in uproar. That's a big city. The people seize a very violent word. Gaius and Aristarchus are young men. Picture them around 28, 30 years old. They're helpers of Paul. Uh, they got saved along the way, and now they're part of the team, right? So two young men out doing their thing, and they got swept up in the mob. Paul's traveling buddies, they're his companions and from Greece, and they rushed as one man with two guys in tow into the theater. There, I'll show you a picture in a bit. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even so, even some of the uh, officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into that theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some were another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. That's my favorite line in the whole passage there. Verse 33, the Jews pushed Alexander to the front. Can I just explain it right now? The Jews are not the Christians. They're not the Jewish Christians. They want to tell the crowd, look, we agree with you. Just because we're Jews like Paul doesn't mean we're Christians. So they find a guy to, to go up and put some distance so that they don't become the target of all of that anger. So the Jews pushed Alexander to the front and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him to kind of defend us, man. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people, but when they realized he was a Jew, maybe from his dress or the clothes, they, they wore distinctive clothing, uh, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, covered their ears with their hands, I pictured, and they start chanting for two hours in a stadium, backed, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so we met the troublemaker, now onto the unruly mob that he instigated. It's a riot for sure, an outright mob, and it got violent. And so the devil, he's, you know, he's shrewd. He's shooting the flaming arrows. He knows right where to hit those guys. Any bullseye, it was all about their love of money, their inflated egos, and their civic pride. You know, Artemis of the Ephesians, give me an E, give me a P, give me an H. <laughs> That's what they were doing. The word furious in your text uh, is to be intoxicated with rage. That means you're out of your mind. 
you see. And so uh, time for action, you know, so the hundreds of them led to thousands in the street and it got swept up into a demonically inspired uh, craziness. Time for action, load up the bricks, light the torches, grab some clubs, and don't forget the megaphones because we're going to be shouting and, well, you know, we want the justice. When do we want it? Now it's the same kind of thing. Uh, and, and, and we'll teach Christians who rules here in Ephesus, right? And so, yeah, this is what's going on. Uh, and, and, and by the way, there's some verses in the Bible that describe the great tribulation that's coming when the church has been raptured out of harm's way and God's judgment comes and the, uh, and the restraint comes off, that the riots, the mobs, will make this mob look like a bunch of Girl Scouts that are going door to door selling cookies by comparison. Trust me on that. I'm glad uh, we are not going to be here for that. And so, yeah, onto the streets they go. And sadly, they recognize Gaius and Aristarchus. It's a shout out to how they live their Christian life. I mean, there was probably some here they would pass right by and not know that you were Christian. But they know these guys. So, whoa, they, they, maybe they were on their way to the Hall of Tyrannus or maybe out shopping for, for a church potluck, right? But people go, the Christians. Or maybe they were in the park sharing the gospel, and that's why they got caught up. And Jesus says, look, look if you live with your faith out loud, you, you're going to suffer persecution. That's a promise. It just happens. And so there they were kind of sitting ducks. And now they're about to become the whooping boys. All right. And so Paul hears about it and he says, not on my watch. I'm going out there. I, I, it's my responsibility. And he loved those guys. And uh, Paul's not afraid of anybody or anything when he feels the gospel's involved like that. Uh, and they say, the, the team says, no. No, you're not going. Sit down. You're not going. And so this is amazing to me that even on top of that, the Holy Spirit allows the Christians who got saved in high places uh, there to send him a message that says, don't even think about it. Paul will risk his life for the gospel, no problem. But he's humble enough and he has a spirit of humility and common sense to know that God will speak through others around him. And uh, what were they saying? They're, they're probably saying, look, they're unreasonable. You can't reason with unreasonable people, right? And they're out for blood, not a meaningful uh, dialogue, Paul. So you, you will either get Gaius and Aristarchus killed and yourself killed and bring trouble on all of us in government places by you going out with a stick and poking around out there. It's just not going to be smart. So Paul decides to heed Jesus' words and not throw the sacred pearls before a furious herd of wild hogs, uh, lest they trample the pearls under their filthy feet and then turn and tear him to pieces. That's a quote from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6. So Paul is told to do the hardest Christian discipline of all. When your back's against the wall, 
you're feeling attacked, but there's a lot on the line to do nothing. Sit still. Know that I am God and I will be exalted. I will defend you, says the Lord. He tells his people there in Exodus 14, backed against the wall of the sea. What do we do? Here comes Pharaoh. You do nothing. I do everything. You stand still and watch and see the salvation of the Lord. Hardest thing to do, but it works every time. Now, they rush into the theater as one man is a really important thing to see the fury and the determination and the flow. They go into this place. It still stands there in pretty good repair, right? Yeah, when the Bible mentions a place, you can go dig around and find it, actually, because it's true. <laughs> and uh, I had the privilege of preaching there. I've been there twice. One time, we had to go to the meadow right across, and you can see where that lone tree is? We were there and I preached this message there looking into this here. And uh, it's just amazing. It held 25,000 people. And the Bible encyclopedia says this is where the dramas, uh, mostly to honor Artemis, there were sports competitions that took place. Uh, but even uh, better and more frequent was the entertainment. And the entertainment was men versus men in battle, men versus beasts, and beasts versus beasts. So that, and we do all three of those today. It's not always legal, but we do all three of those things today. And so, yeah, a very real possibility that Gaius and Aristarchus were going to have to battle the beasts in that the lions were going to come out for sure. Absolute chaos and confusion. Uh, look at verse 32. The assembly was in confusion, some shouting one thing, some shouting another. Most didn't even know why they were there. So you got one guy chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And you got the guy next to him, throw him to the lions. And you got the guy next to him, uh, silver trinkets of Artemis here. Get your silver trinkets of Artemis here. You know, we got your riotous special, one for five dollars. <laughs> Three for 12 bucks. Yeah, so, you know. <laughs> Barb, you liked that, didn't you? Thank you. All right. So some, some, some were also shouting, dude, what are we doing here? And the other guy goes, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, just like today, exactly like today. What are we doing here? Uh, well, it's an excuse to get out of class. It's an excuse to cut work. It's an excuse to loot some stores and get stuff I didn't have to pay for. It's a, an excuse to blow off a little steam and turn some cars over. Why are you turning the cars over? Because he said the Plato can't talk. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It's just sad when the blind are leading the blind. Jesus said they both fall into the ditch, so we pray for our blind friends. So um, after two hours of a serenade to praises to Artemis, um, someone in the crowd is thinking, let's get the show on the road. 
So in verses 33, they push Alexander out to show the crowd, look, it's not the Jewish community. We hate the Jewish Christians as well, right? So they pick Alexander. Why? Whoa, 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy identify Alexander. And in 2 Timothy, Paul says, hey, Timothy, whatever you do, watch out for this one maniac. He's a madman. It caused me a lot of harm. His name, Alexander the coppersmith. Coppersmith, it's him. So he's around. He's a big, famous proponent of an attacker of all things Christian. But here's the interesting and sad thing. In 1 Timothy, he was referred to Alexander, who has shipwrecked his faith. Whoa. That means that he, he proclaimed to have been a Jew who found Jesus, and then he deconstructed. And when they deconstruct, it usually means they never really were saved to begin with. That's usually the case. But the ones who leave us and then get online and they start leading the way to the promised land out from evangelical oppression because they know and they share their story of abuse. This is Alexander. And this is why he caused Paul much harm. And now he is uh, the one who they think, well, if anybody can explain it, it's this hater. He hates Christians and he'll know how to put it. So they want him to go up there, but God's like, no, we, <laughs> God's like, I don't want to hear from him. You know, so God shuts it down. Uh, and God, you know, that's what he does. And so, um, yeah, he doesn't get a chance to speak. And so they plug their ears when they recognize it's a Jew, and Jews were not popular because they were considered the oddballs in the community and also the goody two-shoes, you know. And so they, they just plug their ears, they start chanting, uh, and they chanted so loud that the, the whole region was re reverberating with the creed, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. One writer responded to that, saying this, let the world sing their songs, publish their books and infiltrate the schools, chanting and chanting and chanting, dominating social media with their constant barrage of their demonic doctrines and their Christless creeds. God's truth will prevail. And everyone found chanting such falsehoods when he returns will be utterly destroyed. That is from Jesus' words when he returns. What will happen to those people who disobey and are stumbling blocks to the world? Let's finish up now, verse 35, last paragraph, and just a few comments. The city clerk, secular guy, I think he probably knows the Lord, but it's not clear. Uh, some unbelievers are have common sense. Uh, <laughs> the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell down from heaven? <laughs> I'll tell you about that. It's interesting. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, facts are facts, gentlemen, you ought to be quiet. And don't do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. He's sticking up for them. 
He's saying they're innocent. They didn't do anything wrong. They haven't committed a real crime, nor have they insulted Artemis. So if then Demetrius and your fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, guess what? The courts are open from 9 to 5 tomorrow. <laughs> and there are pro counsels. There's a legal way to deal with this. They can press their charges. Verse 39, if there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting. Rome hated unlawful assemblies because of today's events. And, and this is the best line here. In that case, we wouldn't be able to account for this commotion. Here it is, since there's no reason for it. Ah, love it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. Wow. So God, listen, the city officials who the Lord uses to save the day. Sometimes we limit the way God can save. We think he has to do it in sanctified means and using believers only and in Christian kind of salvation of deliverance. No, 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 no. He can, he can use the, the mayor of Ephesus, stand him up and put some wisdom in his head and save the day and then rain the dew of heaven over that crazy crowd and get them to calm down. Because our God is alive, unlike other gods made of Play-Doh. Now... <laughs> Here we go. So, um, you know, first thing, he's very diplomatic, so he gives lip service to the, the, um, the, the goddess, the patron goddess, that's what I was thinking of, uh, of Ephesus. And he says, fellow Ephesians, come on, the, the whole world knows the truth and where Ephesus stands. We're the ones entrusted with their image. We're the ones who are guarding it uh, and built this awesome temple. We're the ones who brought Artemis worship to the world. Come on, everybody knows that. ESV has verse 35 uh, we are the guardians of the sacred stone that fell out of the sky. And so here's what historians say as well, that evidently it was this dramatic meteor shower one night and the next day some guys went exploring and found what looked to be a meteor, a rock that looked like a curvaceous woman and they named it Artemis. And then I just find that so hilarious every time. And I think silly Ephesians... Don't you understand how guys are? <laughs> guys will look at a rock like that and go, a woman. <laughs> it's not hard to get a man to see the image of a beautiful woman. Uh, and so that's what happened here. And so, yeah, they, they called it uh, Artemis and they enshrined it. And do you know that they built that temple around that rock? And that's what this is all about, a rock. This is worse than Play-Doh. <laughs> all right, so, uh, and they invented a, a worship of uh, protocols, and voila, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. There you have it. Now, look at how smart Mr. Mayor is. He, he points out, guys, you know what Paul was saying, you know, that man-made gods are no gods at all. Well, everybody knows that sh th this god, their, her image, wasn't man-made. It fell from heaven, you see? So he's saying, these are two different things, man. Maybe Paul was talking about those real man-made gods. But this, in this case, it's not a man-made god because it fell from heaven. You see what he's doing? He's a smart guy. You know, and God made him smart for that moment anyway. And so he's turning the tables on them and he's saying, look, by the way, when the dust settles, 
what are the charges? This is an un unlawful assembly. You, you drag two guys in here. What have they done? And he volunteers. He says, they're not common criminals like robbing temples. Now, that's the first thing that comes to his mind because every other case in the court was robbing temples. Why? Temples and shrines were everywhere. And they had little buckets. And people would worship and give. They tossed their coins in. And some people came to toss coins in, and some people came to, to take coins out <laughs> and put them in their pockets, right? And so that was a common crime. And the courts were filled with those who rob temples and shrines. So he says, yeah, they didn't do that. And, and I love this. Then he says, they didn't blaspheme. They didn't insult her. How does he know? Because the whole province has heard the gospel. They, he knows what the Christian message is, and the Christian message is not, Artemis is terrible and fake. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message is Jesus is real and alive and loves you. So he knows, and everybody knows, that Paul doesn't run around bashing people. That's not the gospel to say, you bunch of pagans, you know? That's not the gospel. The good news is there's a God in heaven. He's got a name, Jesus, which means the Lord saves us. And he came down and he laid down on a piece of wood, like I like to say, a piece of wood he created to bear the sins of the world, the sinless one who knew no sin, becoming sin on our behalf that we might become right with God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 there. So... Yeah, moving on, he doesn't want to get in trouble. So he says, um, listen up, think twice, Let's dismiss in peace, and go home. God had a way of coming to their rescue, didn't he? My couple takeaways here is, is that, you know, sometimes it feels like we're surrounded by an angry crowd and the Lord is saying, look, be still and know that I am God. Maybe you need to remember that your God isn't handmade, that he made with his hands the universe. He spoke and the sun, moon, and stars came to be. Wow, that's amazing. And he can save. Artemis can't. The works of our hands cannot. God is our refuge and strength, Psalm 46, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and we're surrounded. And they're chanting our louder. It's louder and louder and louder. You know what? Our God is able. He says, be still and know that I am God. My second takeaway and final one is for the unbeliever who's not yet saved. We know what Demetrius' problem was. He valued money more than he valued his soul. He wanted temporary pleasure over eternal life. Jesus said this about the Demetriuses in this world. If you want to be my follower, you have to give up having your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And then he asked this of Demetrius. Dude, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? 
is anything worth more than your soul? And Demetrius said, yes. My temporary wealth right now. I'm not budging because if I budge, I'll lose it all. But you know what? Sadly, all of those guys who were feeling the pinch, don't feel sorry for them. Do you know what? They, they could have gotten saved and used their skills and abilities in beautiful, wonderful ways. Those guys were skilled. They knew what they were doing, and they were good. And there's plenty of other things, useful things, good things, beneficial things, that they could be making a good living. And you know this, God would have blessed their conversion and blessed their new, their new businesses for sure because they had a right heart. So they didn't need him. That's the thing. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. And funny thing, you lose it and then you gain everything else. Let's pray. Father God, you're good. Your word is so alive. 2,000 years ago is today, right outside these doors. And uh, it's amazing. And we're glad that we belong not in the crowd that's being swept away. And at the end of the story, they're nowhere to be found. But we will be there, standing strong in the light and in the joy of our master's heaven, the paradise of God. So thank you, Father. We pray your blessing now as we think through these things. Take them to heart and let your word be lived through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.